Find your feet with the Find Your Feet podcast. So today I sat down with Jess, my colleague and partner in crime on the Find Your Feet podcast to talk about sports nutrition. It's pretty much one of my favorite topics to talk about, as you'll probably hear that I ramble a lot. But what I really want to get across today is just how simple sports nutrition really needs to be. Today I tried to present a lot of the science behind sports nutrition and the way our body absorbs fluids and energy because I think once you understand the science you can understand what products are best for you and you can make really well informed decisions. Really at the end of the day what I really want you to get out of this is the importance of fluid, salt and glucose. It's pretty simple and the simpler you keep it I think the more optimally your body will work irrespective of what lifestyle pattern of nutrition you follow, whether it goes from the plant-based advocates right through to the paleo or just the normal normal eating routines of the Western diet. Today, um, it's we tried to keep it short, succinct, and there's so much more we could talk about, but there's a plethora of um, advice on my my blog and also some really great books and links that we can put in the show notes on the hannyolston.com.au website. I just also really want to take a moment to thank my husband and my business partner Graham who puts a huge amount of energy into Find Your Feet and our retail company and tour business who um, helps to generate the income to provide the financial support for the Find Your Feet podcast, which as you can see is a free resource for everyone. I couldn't do it without him and you guys supporting Find Your Feet and allowing us to um, use that as our financial backing for what we're doing here. So if you have the opportunity to purchase resources from Find Your Feet or any of your sports nutrition products, then we would really appreciate it. So we free express ship all around the country and you can have it next day delivery if you live in a metropolitan area. Um, furthermore, we'd love to see all of you at um, our expo events around the country as the events begin to roll out next year, such as the Ultra Trail Australia and we'd also love to welcome you onto one of the Find Your Feet tours. So if you haven't found them, go to findyourfeettours.com.au. Alrighty, let's get started. This is my podcast with Jess. Alrighty then. Today we are going to broach the topic of nutrition and hydration. So I guess first of all, who is it that needs to know all this information about nutrition? Is it for a specific audience or does everyone need to know? Yeah, I mean, this is one of my favorite topics because I feel like this, when people get nutrition and start to get it, I don't want to say right because everyone is a little bit different with nutrition, but I think it just makes like the most incredible gains on performance and happiness and well-being when you're out doing whatever you want to do. So in answer to your question, like I think in the early days, I thought that sports nutrition was really for like the elite athletes and the use of gels and all those sort of fancy products on the market. Yeah, we're just limited to the, the elite tier of athletes performing on the state on the world stage. But as I've like delved deeper into my coaching and my understanding of this topic, I realized like this is relevant for absolutely everyone. And it it's even relevant for people who aren't even involved in sports, so the likes of firefighters or people who are working in hot environments, people who are really active on their feet all day and, you know, even in, in our retail store we're clocking up some pretty huge miles running around a four-storey building and mm. you can get towards the end of the day and wonder why your energy's dropping away or you're starting to develop a bit of a headache and you take some electrolyte and replace a bit of your fluids and suddenly you feel like you've got a rocket fuel back in your system. So... Yeah, so my understanding of sports nutrition has really stemmed right down to people who are active in any format. Um, and some of the people that I've had the most success with in helping their well-being and recovery from training are actually people who are working in a mine in the mines in Queensland, so in a hot environment where they're um, working in hard labour situations. So, yeah, in answer to your question, like I hope everyone listening today can pull something away from this and realise that they're entitled to the benefits of the concepts of sports nutrition. Yeah, yeah, and I guess just 
um, something that came up for me just then when you were saying about electrolytes was this idea that um, we only need to refuel our electrolytes when we're doing really, really hard endurance stuff potentially and that you should just be fine just with water for everyday um for everyday use so like i'm interested as to how electrolytes can be used in everyday nutrition and hydration as well and like what yeah well jess your thoughts are are really spot on to the experience that I've had with most people and myself as well and my story with um, sports nutrition because we're brought up as kids to probably drink juice, water, milk or occasionally cordial when your parents let you. So I think, you know, our understanding of rehydrating was like when you are really, really thirsty, your parents used to say, you know, you can't just guzzle the juice, you need to have water. Um, so that's a message that's instilled in us from a young age. But what I've really come to learn about sweat um, is that sweat really is sodium and water so we lose not just the fluid component but we lose the electrolyte component as well Mm. Um, and going through med school was you know really fortunate experience because you come to learn about the science of the body and when you understand the science of the body then things start to click so I think like what I've tried to do in my coaching career is to actually try to educate people on the on the science so that you can make your own informed decisions about what products you choose to use whether they're some that you buy off a shelf or whether they're some that you actually make yourself um so when it comes to the hydration side the most important element to put back is sodium because it's the thing that holds your water balance in in your body and allows water to be absorbed um, by osmosis so an energy-free process through all the cell membranes in the body so that allows it to move from the gut system into the into the bloodstream, then from the bloodstream into the cells, and then ultimately from the, the elements of the cells into the bits that are actually required. So it's incredibly important to have the sodium replacement. And one thing that I've started to really understand about my body and also other athletes is, or people working in these sort of hot, hard environments is that if you don't put enough salt back in, ultimately you can actually distort your electrolyte balance and it can make you feel pretty rotten on a lifestyle level as well. Mm. And that was something that I learned about my body was that um, when I did some salt testing, so I actually did some testing where you put patches on your skin and you go out for a run and you work out not only how much volume of fluid do you lose per hour and you can do that by measuring your body weight before and after the session and whatever that kilogram losses equates to about a litre of fluid um so I was losing maybe like one and a half litres of fluid in a you know not a very hot day here in Tasmania in a one hour sort of steady run but I was losing over 2,000 milligrams of sodium per litre of sweat I was losing which was nearly double kind of the average person Mm -hmm. so that's someone who's like grown up on an organic farm vegetarian diet for their entire lives I don't eat processed foods I don't eat much sodium like I never ate sodium I was always educated to buy the low salt everything Um, and yet I have this huge sodium loss and so what then happens is if you're out there you know not only maybe playing and training once or twice a day and then you're also on your feet you know running around a shop floor where you know you naturally you sweat a little bit that I was getting pretty deficient on a lifestyle level and I was always wondering why I felt really like achy slow to recover um, and also when I was taking on energy I also wasn't feeling like you know I'd eat I'd eat lunch and then an hour later I'd still feel low in energy and what I then began to learn about the body is that sodium is the transporter of or the co-transporter of glucose molecules in the body so if you actually get low on sodium you actually can't absorb your energy very quickly and um and so when you then put that in a performance setting you know and I was out you know racing and I was just drinking water and then maybe I'd have some jelly beans or a gel or something like that um I wasn't getting any return from that investment and it was wasn't because I was eating the wrong food it was because I was depleting in sodium Mm. 
So does that make sense? Yeah. I'm just interested as to how you know, like what the bodily symptoms are. I know you said fatigue and eating and then not feeling like you've gotten your energy. Um, is that like the main symptoms that we could identify within ourselves of having a sodium deficiency? Yeah. I mean, like, so from a lifestyle level, your body is pretty savvy, like, and it will, it will try to find ways to restore balance, but it's going to pull sodium from parts of the body where you really don't want to be pulling the sodium out of. So it'll start to take it from your cells, which means that it's harder and harder for you. It's because it, what it's trying to do is maintain your electrolyte balance in your bloodstream. So that's why I can keep going out and keep sweating out these large amounts of sodium, but you're losing it from the cells and deeper places of the body that I guess we don't see or feel but yeah you're right in answer to your question like you can just feel sluggish um you can also start to notice though that when you are drinking fluids you feel quite bloated for a period of time because it takes longer for the um the water to move out of the gut system and into mm, the bloodstream <laughs> yeah so you kind of feel like a horse yeah <laughs> um when and they... then it almost stops you from wanting to drink as well because you're like oh i've got this it's like feeling you don't, don't like it's it. like you can feel sort of headachey low in energy parched in your mouth dry lips but you're not that you like you don't you just desperately don't want water but mm. then as soon as you start drinking electrolyte it's like you guzzle two liters of it and I think that's kind of a real evidence sometimes too you know you have a palate for more like a sweet drink which um feels like it actually is easier to drink for most people or mm-hmm. in my situation like I could drink bucket loads of hot drinks I could have a more of a palate for that but I definitely think that um, so, you know, having sodium is just so critical for helping those fluids to be absorbed and to maintaining your electrolyte balance. If you are someone who is a, is a high sweater or someone who gets, you know, that you're losing high amounts of sodium and by that it's normally evident on the people that get that salt crusting around their face or, you know, when they um, take off their t-shirt and it starts to dry, it goes all crunchy or they get like salt marks around their vest pack lines on their running packs. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the evidence of people who generally lose more sodium than the others. Mm. Um, yeah. So can we be replenishing sodium in other times around training or like just when we're actually sweating? Is yeah. that... Yeah, so I started to really understand that I shouldn't be shying away from sodium in my daily diet. And um, so what I started to do was to add salt to food. And I um, began to sort of read up on salt and realize like like most things, and it's not made equally. So I started to choose some of the more natural forms of salt, like pink Himalayan mountain salt. And I would sprinkle that over food. I would even sometimes go as far as putting butter on or like, you know, a spread on my bread and then add salt to the spread as well mm. um, just to get more salt back into the system. Um, when I started making dips and things like that, I never used to put salt in it. And now I would add, you know, half a teaspoon of salt to a batch of dip just to kind of find ways to boost it. Um, if I'm feeling tired lethargic thirsty at work you know we keep some electrolyte on the shelf and you just make a bottle and I wouldn't do it every day but it's just on those days when you really feel like you need something um, I Mm. find that it really kicks me home and and I've learned too that I think sodium loss um, whether you're a high loser of salt or or not is something genetic because my father actually um, also has similar challenges with restless legs and cramping and I think for a long time this is everyone sort of thought this was magnesium and it it can be symptomatic of someone who's low in magnesium but um, as a bit of a general rule cramping and um, restless legs is actually more to do with a salt deficiency and so he gets this quite bad about once a week um, he'll wake up in the night with cramping legs and once he started now replacing the salt and using an electrolyte drink after he spent a day, you know, laboring in the garden and farming, which is what he's doing now. Um, it's completely cured this problem for him. Um, and then I would also say that it's quite likely that if you're a high sodium loser, you're probably also high loser of other minerals. And that was another problem that I started to identify thanks to a really amazing GP who's actually been on our podcast before, 
was she did quite a lot of blood testing um, because I again like I just was having a lot of hormonal problems and not recovering very quickly from injuries and also holding quite a lot of fluid in like my tissues so around my Achilles and stuff would just for whatever reason just get all fat and chubby and when she did the blood testing she worked out that I actually had pretty much no magnesium left in my body and no zinc left in my body mm-hmm. um, and they're really really important for catabolizing um, energy and also really important for allowing hormones to be produced as well as many and many many other things so um, I you know when we put two and two together it's like yeah you're basically like a mineral loser and I think you feel like you don't have these understandings of the way the human body works and the really important roles that a lot of these minerals have in our bodies and knowing to what's happening in western agriculture where our food is just of a lower quality I mean and I moved away from you know really rich fertile soils and all homegrown organic produce as a child for about the first 17 years of my life to like now you know having to buy my food from the shops like everyone else like I think it is a big adjustment for a body and I think we do need to think about making sure that if you're using your body at a high level all the time you have to put these things back in Mm. sorry that was a really long-winded answer to that question that's perfect (laughs) that was really good um so I guess sort of that everything is interrelated um so like with your minerals and and nutrients um but I'm still a little bit like confused I guess about how to differentiate between like if you've got a sodium muscle like or a magnesium or a zinc like is there any sort of ways that we can be I don't know, listening to our body or yeah. um, I think to like figure it out. If you want to keep it simple, silly, in, along that catchphrase, I think the starting place is to think salt is probably a big issue. Now, I'm not preaching to people who are sitting on the couch watching television and occasionally yeah. walking to work. Like yeah. you, We're talking to people who are... Um, higher inactivity levels often living in hot environments like Queensland or summer in Australia is classic um, because if you are sorry but a lazy person and thinking oh it must be a salt deficiency that's why I feel sluggish um, you know yes you can put yourself at more risk of heart disease and all sorts of other lifestyle issues it's absolutely proven that there's a link but if you are someone who loses the salt then I'm talking to you mm. um when we sweat the most and when we're exercising most of the mineral proportion of our salt and by most I mean like it's it's over 90% I can't even remember the figures like it's enormous percentage is sodium that's the electrolyte we're losing so when you lick your skin if you were sweating all you really taste is salt um the we actually lose almost negligible traces of potassium calcium magnesium when we sweat you're most likely to lose that through excrement so by feces not through the sweat glands you do lose tiny traces but it would it wouldn't be enough to really cause these electrolyte disturbances in an acute bout of exercise Mm. so by that I mean like when you're out say on a race and you might be racing for five hours you're not losing magnesium so if you start cramping or having challenges it's not going to be a magnesium problem unless you have like I did a lifestyle deficiency of it which had built up over time yeah um so if you're in doubt the first place is to start thinking about how can I replace the sodium and the easiest way to do it is electrolyte drinks Mm -hmm. um and trying to find one that is low in magnesium and high in salt because magnesium is actually the first ingredient in laxatives and if you've experienced having to supplement with magnesium, you can experience how challenging it is to do it without mm-hmm. upsetting a stomach. Yeah. So if you're sipping on an electrolyte over, like, say, a 5- to 10-hour period in an ultra-distance race and it's got a high concentration of magnesium in it, you can almost bet your boots that within the last five hours of that event, you're going to have tummy problems and it's going to be a magnesium problem most of the time. Right. Um, so... The magnesium side and the zinc side, I guess you have to, if you're worried that you might have deficiencies there, it's probably worth seeking out a GP and someone who's willing to do the blood testing for it because you can test for um, other mineral losses in the body and that was how I identified mine. Yeah. Yeah. So I was well below the normal range for an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so that's really great because I think one of the really good things about us doing this podcast is that because there is so much of a sea of general knowledge when it comes to nutrition and hydration that it can be so like it's a the advice is obviously going to be different for people who are more active than if we're general. So like I know for myself, I actually really did shy away from salt because I was listening to the general um, advice advice that where our culture is so high in, in like sodium, like we eat too much salt. And so I went, Oh, I don't want to do that. So did it help you when you started replacing salt when you were exercising? Because I didn't at first so I was just drinking straight water and I was doing like two liters of water up like when I was living in Queensland and running on like super hot days and just feeling like so bad like I'd go home with a massive headache but I drank two liters of water and I was like how did that yeah like how do I feel so bad and because I'd already blacked out sodium as being like a bit of a bad food like I've got little um air bunnies like bad food um so I couldn't figure it out for myself because I was just like, well, it can't be salt because salt's bad for me, but I just mustn't be hydrated enough. So I think yeah. it's good, like, getting some specific... And um, did it change when you started replacing the salt, Jess? Oh, so much. Yeah. And also I didn't have to drink as much liquid, like two litres of water, and I was still feeling, like, parched mouth, like yeah. the bloating, feeling yeah. exhausted, headachey. Yeah. But could go, like, 500 mils with a couple of electrolyte tablets in it and be like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the bloating because, I mean, I'm sure this question will come up later in the conversation if I don't bring it up now, but um, the most common – so I work with – I've actually worked literally with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of athletes now um, problem-solving around nutrition and hydration because you can do, like, the best training in the world. And we talked about training in our last podcast together and, you know, we can tweak it here and push it there and – Mm-hmm. Um, try and get people to race day really fit and uninjured and ready to perform. But if you get your nutrition wrong, um, it's almost like you may as well not have done that work. Because yeah. at some point you'll be doubled over on the side of the track, potentially vomiting, bloated tummy, cramping, whatever that cause is. The most common distresses that, we, that I see um, as a consultant is bloating and vomiting and nausea. They're the most common. And then second to that would be cramping. Mm. Um, All of those issues, most people think it's um, a problem to do with nutrition because I think that is a little bit of a marketing hype that, you know, you see the gels and the energy bars and we, you know, like the Gatorades and all of that. But but it isn't a problem with energy most of the time. Like I would say 95% of the time it's a problem with the hydration element. The most common cause of bloating and nausea and vomiting is that when people are drinking, like you were drinking a fluid that is doesn't have enough salt in it, whether it's just plain water or it's a poor electrolyte or it's not made strong enough for how much salt they're losing as a person, and then that water gets trapped in the gut, and then the gut has actually a lot of stretch reflexes in it, and when it the stomach stretches too much because the fluid can't get out, um, it sets off the vomit reflex and mm. it all comes barreling back out again. Yeah. Um, and people will can, can experience severe vomiting for a period of time in a race and once the stomach empties itself, they suddenly feel fine and then they actually can perform exceptionally well after that point. It's just like it has to get rid of this fluid that's sitting there. Um, and the problem, yeah, the reason why that's happening is that the the water can't move by osmosis into the bloodstream because the bloodstream's lost so much salt. Mm-hmm. So it's disrupted that electrolyte balance. So as soon as so in that circumstance, I have a friend who has this exact problem. He um I run with him. We did the South Coast track together, and in the weeks leading up to it, like in the months leading up to it, he DNF'd a couple of races with severe vomiting and feeling really average. Um, and then in training runs we either he'd be on the side of the track during the training run or when we got back like within half an hour he would just start severe vomiting and it could go for four hours or more and um and I kind of like I guess I've learned enough about it that I knew that it was a salt problem because I watched what he was taking on and it wasn't it wasn't enough or he was normally just drinking water when I first met him Mm. um and once And pretty much in the week leading into South Coast track where we knew that we were going to have 95 
kilometres with absolutely no support crew and we had to look after ourselves. He, it was almost like he rolled over onto his back and said, scratch my tummy and fix this. <laughs> and so when we got out there, I found a real solution to the problem actually, which was um, when he got the bloating feeling, we would give him two or three salt tablets and give him like a big almost overdose of salt and it was like it acted like a massive sponge and within like 20 minutes his stomach would be completely back to normal and he could keep eating yeah but when he had the bloating problems he he couldn't get anything in he couldn't get nutrition in he couldn't get like anything in um and if you get to that point and you get behind on nutrition as well because the fluid's blocking any of the absorption or you can't physically get it in because you feel so sick and nauseated, um, you can then dig some massive holes. So, yeah, so we found that, like, increasing his electrolyte concentration in his drinks, he could still drink plain water, but he had to also take the sodium tablets. Mm-hmm. Um we got through 95 Ks, absolutely no problems whatsoever. It was phenomenal. It mm-hmm. was just like a... He beat his personal record in terms of not vomiting by, you know, hours and hours and hours and hours and pulled up feeling incredible at the end. So um, I've got, I've just got so many stories like that. Like that's my personal one, but I've got people I've coached who, you know, couldn't even get to 30 kilometers without this vomiting problem. And when once we started reducing their fluid volumes and increasing their sodium concentrations, it all, it all fixed itself. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was, I ended up going the other way then because it was so, uncomfortable and traumatic to be drinking that much water and feeling like that way I just went oh I just don't want to I don't want to do it anymore which for my body I'm a salt loser and I get the salt crusting on the outside and of my face and you sweat a lot because I run with you yeah, yeah nothing's just <laughs> I'm like world, a but... running waterfall um <laughs> but <laughs> but um that made it even worse like yeah. and yeah just would then have to always even if it was like a two-hour run the rest of the day I just had to totally yeah like just ride off I was like once I get back from this I'm just going to be exhausted and suddenly when I had the electrolyte tablets I would do yeah like a two-hour run and come and back and fine. start doing housework yeah. and like be drinking like sipping electrolytes yeah. throughout the day as well which I found yeah to be really helpful afterwards um yeah exactly if I so, couldn't take on enough when I was running yeah to be like oh it's okay I could still keep putting it back into my body over a longer period of time. And I found that that sort of... Yeah. Worked. So you've brought up a really interesting point then. And I've also brought it up by talking about my friend is, and myself is that we are all different. Mm. So, But the science doesn't change. So really when you're talking about hydration, you need to put back your fluids and you need to put back sodium. Stuff like magnesium deficiencies, zinc deficiencies, like I've had in my lifetime, in my lifestyle of nutrition... That's a lifestyle issue. That's something you address after you've done all your exercise and the day is done. Mm. So I have that, you know, I re-supplement that before bed every night, you know. But when we're actually exercising, you've got to put back your salt and you've got to put back your water. And then everyone is different. So the way to work it out is I think it's really important for anyone listening, if this is something that you've experienced challenges with, is to learn what your losses are. Um, and losses will vary depending on the climate. Um, so on a hot day in Hobart here, like we had yesterday, it was 32 degrees. If I'd gone out running, that's my version of hot, by the way. Yeah, no, I was <laughs> yeah. just about to say, I was like, I could hear the laughter of people being like, you can't say hot day in Hobart. Like you got, <laughs> it doesn't go together, but we do get hot days. We sometimes. do get hot days. <laughs> it was hot for, hot for me anyway. If I tried to go for a run, I probably would have been losing over two liters an hour of, of um, sweat. in volume and the way you measure that is like you strip down before you go out the door to to preferably nude standing on a scales a digital scales taking your weight you record that down you go obviously put your clothes back on you go out for your run you run for one hour at just preferably like a race effort but if you're a marathon runner you're not going to go out and marathon run for an hour I don't think so you know just an an intensity a sustainable intensity for one hour you come back in you reweigh yourself um after you've toweled down and for women that includes toweling down your hair as much as you can so drying yourself right back off and jump back on the scales and it's quite phenomenal how much you lose in weight in one one hour run in those climates it's also important to do it like if you're someone who exercises or doing races where you're starting really early in the morning to do it earlier in the morning, like a 6am on a cooler morning. Um, or if you're preparing for a race in winter to know what that's like when you're in winter, because you might 
on that hotter day lose two litres an hour, but on a cool morning in winter I only lose 400 grams, which is 400 mils. So trying to understand those losses is really, really important in preparing for an event. Um, but the sodium concentration will not change. It is a standard figure. So my sodium concentration five years ago is the same sodium concentration today. And it'll be the same concentration tomorrow if it's 18 degrees and it'll be the same concentration the next day if it's 30. Mm. But so when you say concentration the same, you mean the same for you over yeah. your lifetime, not the same for everyone? No, same yes. for me. Yep. So I, I lose well over 2,000 milligrams now. I've seen people... Oh, sorry, per litre, so 2,000 milligrams per litre, but I've worked with people who's, who've had sodium testing done and there's someone in Australia who can help you with this if it's something you really want to do, but they're losing like 500 milligrams. So I'm losing four times more salt than someone next to me. Mm. Um, I think, you know, my husband, Graham, doesn't actually lose a huge amount of sodium. He never, salt crass never um, shows any symptoms of it. And I don't think he really sweats much. So he's in a completely different situation to me. Mm. Um, someone that I worked with who, again, was on the podcast book, Martin, she won't mind me talking about it, has had severe challenges with nutrition. Um, we found for her, she barely sweats. Like, she'd be lucky to lose 250 mils an hour, even in a hot day. Um, and her sodium level is normal. So for her, like, she's, you know, in her hour in a race would be barely drinking 100 mils, whereas probably you, Jess, would be drinking well over a litre. Mm. So everyone is different. You have to understand that because most marketing preaching out there tries to put you in this one size fits all kind of class and yeah. it's like trying to put you in one size shoes fits all it I mean that's just not how we operate yeah <laughs> I can see it being quite important that once people sort of figure out what works for them then just like sticking with that and yeah. being really like not sort of looking to what other people are doing be like oh maybe I should do yeah. that or like you like once you've figured yeah. out what's working for you then yeah so you, sort of, and there is this big message out there, drink to thirst, and that there's a lot of truth in that statement, but you have to understand the science before you can override mm. a lot of the symptoms and experiences you're having and actually recognize what is thirst. Yeah. That's, like, can we trust that? You can um, definitely trust it once you get to a point where you know your body that, that well. But if you don't, like you, like I was saying, like I'd go out running before I'd learn about sodium and electrolyte replacement and get, you know, dry lips, parched mouth, guzzling water, bloated stomach, still thirsty, keep drinking. Why do I suddenly feel like I need to vomit, mm. you know? So if you don't understand what's going on in the body, no, absolutely not. You cannot rely on that. But if you're drinking the right fluids, you know your body um, you know your, your limits and your tolerance, um, then you can listen to that. And the other message that's really important in all this when we're talking about how much we lose when we drink is that you can't replace everything you do lose. So, you know, for me, if I'm losing that, you know, litre an hour, I'm, I'm not going to put back that much. My tummy wouldn't tolerate it. I don't think anyone's tummy can tolerate trying to put back what they're actually physically losing. Mm. It's trying to just minimise the deficit so that over a prolonged period of time you can keep moving. Mm. So, um, you know, I, I would be lucky to probably put back 300 mils of that, but I can at least work on putting back the sodium element so that it continues to allow your thirst mechanism to to work and the energy absorption to occur. So I think that's just like a really, really important message because if people start weighing themselves in and out and saying, oh, I lose one and a half litres an hour, um, you should not then be thinking I've got to put one and a half litres back in, otherwise you're going to cause the same problems. Yeah. <laughs> You'll set off that stretch mechanism in your tummy and feel pretty awful. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Well, I, I think hydration front is <laughs> pretty good covering. I learned a lot, so I reckon that'll be quite beneficial for a lot of people. Yeah. But I'm ready to talk about food now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I noticed when I first um, started running was that I was actually really quite apprehensive about consuming sports nutrition um I thought that it was full of preservatives and and like bad sugars and I just thought it was a big marketing hype and I wanted to be like 
I'm just gonna feel myself through like whole foods and, and just be really yeah, yeah. Just, like, have water and dates <laughs> I think I like got some sort of thing that like dates was really great for running and and so um I was really just against sports nutrition and I didn't really have a Me reason, reason yeah. why. Um, so I guess I'm kind of interested into like why, like what purpose it actually, it does have for us as, as athletes. So athletes, whether that's, you know, however much. Elite or and, recreational. Yeah. yeah. Um, and how even like having sports gels can, could be beneficial even if you're just going for like a really long day hike or, or something like yeah. that, or even if that's something that you you think is yeah, possible. Yeah, definitely. Like, just I mean, starting that topic. <laughs> absolutely. Like I completely hear where you're coming from, Jess, because it's like I get the same comments when we talk about training and training structures and trying to help people play smart and recovery is like the comment that normally comes firing back at me is like, but I'm not an elite athlete. You don't have to be. But there's a reason why elite athletes do what they do, and that's because it works. Mm. (laughs) Um, And I think anyone who dreams of improving on where they are right now in this moment in time is entitled to the principles of elite athleticism. And because it's just going to help you get there, whether that's fitter, faster, stronger, leaner, meaner, I don't know what what your desire, your outcome is, but it's only going to help you get there quicker. Um, The thing that I also had the background that you did of like a stubborn mule who thought that sports nutrition wasn't, um, wasn't for everyone. I thought that I could just override that by being fitter and stronger than everyone else and an efficient fat burner. And I wouldn't need to put anything back Mm. in. I was um, in my prehistoric days had, disordered eating mindsets and thought that exercise was a great way to lose weight and why would I go and then put energy back in when I'm exercising doesn't that isn't that counterintuitive um Mm -hmm. these are all the I'm I'm not alone I'm just being honest because most of the women most of the people I work with have similar mindsets but what I've quickly worked out over time is that by fueling your brain um you're fueling your body then your body performs better at a higher intensity for a longer period of time and um, you get better outcomes. Now, whether that was weight loss, whether that was performance gains, like we talked about, it's so critical for improvement. Um, So, and this isn't just for athletes. Like if you're someone who's, say, let's take um, someone working in an emergency department as a nurse or an emergency physician. They're working a 10 or 12-hour shift and it's go from start to finish. And they're trying to make rational decisions about life outcomes for their patients and it's a hot working environment and, you know, there's noise and everything going on and you're trying to hold intense concentration. Like, it doesn't make sense that you wouldn't fuel your brain and give it the glucose that it needs to function mm-hmm. um, as you're trying to make critical outcomes for patients, you know, decisions on critical outcomes for patients. Like, mm-hmm. it, that just doesn't make sense. And you could take the same for people working, you know, in mining environment where there's, you know, high-risk activities involved. Like, I think, no, the principles that we're going to talk about are not just for elite athletes. They are for everyone. Mm-hmm. I really strongly believe that. Yeah. yeah. So I guess starting with like a really sort of the basic foundations of it. Um, one thing which I don't know why it was so revolutionary to me, but has probably changed the way that I've um, gone about nutrition is that just like the importance of glucose, like fueling, fueling your brain yeah, um, and getting good sources yeah. and steady sources of glucose as yeah. well. Um, what do you think is one of the really... Yeah, well, that's what I, like, that's exactly what I, where I started with sports nutrition was realizing that, and again, this came initially from studies in medicine Mm -hmm. and understanding how the body works and then later adding this into like the field of sports nutrition, but the, the brain, the body can burn fat. And everyone can do it. Some are just more efficient than others at doing it. But even for the smallest of us, we probably have enough 
fatten our bodies to run from here to Launceston and back. Like the body can do that. But what allows the body to access fats is the brain. The brain is like the epicenter of everything. It's the portal for functionality in the body. So the brain itself actually really hates burning fat. It, the ketones produced from the fat burning process are quite toxic to the brain. It makes you feel quite fuzzy, quite low in energy. Like you get kind of blurred thinking basically. Mm. Um, the brain's preferred fuel of um, source of fuel is glucose. And that's just plain glucose molecules. They pass through the blood brain barrier really easily. Um, and give you very, very quick, instant sort of um, increase in thought processes. So, so then once the brain is functioning better, it will then allow you to access your fat stores and burn more efficiently your fat. So it does, it's not like by putting glucose into the body for the brain, you're overriding the fat burning process. You're not. You're just, in, you're just enhancing that. Um, mm. So... I think once I kind of learned that about the brain and the, and the importance of glucose, that was when everything began to change for me as an athlete and also my ability to help other athletes to um, improve their performance. Yeah, so mm. the, there is a lot of marketing hype out there around, um, you know, I want, to, I want to talk on many angles at the moment. One, yeah. one around the actual sports nutrition products and what needs to be in them for optimal function. So I think that's really important to talk about. But I also want to mention, like, the complexity now around um, modern diets and lifestyles. You know, more and more and more we're seeing trends to certain types of nutritional lifestyles. So we've had the rise of the ketogenic diet, we've had the rise of paleo, we've had the rise of plant-based, we've had the rise of vegetarian. You know, like it goes on and on and on. Um, I have worked with athletes who've been born into no schools of thought right through to the most strict rules of thought one of my best athletes that I have coached over the years um, has been on a low-carbohydrate, high-fat diet. Now, it's for, for whatever reason, and I don't understand all the exact science behind it, is it has reduced massive inflammation in her body. Um, so she went from being someone who lived with chronic knee pain to having no knee pain and being able to do huge volumes of training on a high fat, low carb diet. Now I've tried it myself. I know other people who've tried it and it's made us feel rotten. Mm. Um, I've worked out that my body works best on a pure plant-based diet with a, a little bit of supplementation like we talked about. I know some people that feel absolutely terrible on a plant-based diet and need to have more protein sources coming from animal products. And that was that's what works best for them. But it doesn't matter what school of thought all of us and the athletes I've worked with have been on, putting in pure, pure glucose when it comes to sports nutrition has only enhanced performance. Mm. So I think like I bring this up because one of the schools of thought at the moment is low sugar. And I buy into that too. I'm not very good at it, but <laughs> I do think it helps on a lifestyle level. But it doesn't mean that when you go out the door to exercise, you should have no sugar um, because your brain still needs energy to function and the brain burns glucose. So it's really, really simple. Sports nutrition is so simple. You really just need glucose, salt and water. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can boil it down to those. We can boil it down to those. <laughs> and I can confidently boil it down to those. Just, yeah. There's just, sorry, but results don't lie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely noticed that for myself um, before going on the Japan trip. I read the list of things I needed to take and it was energy gels, electrolyte tablets and all of this stuff was incredibly foreign to me. I'd never done it. So I went into the store and got the stuff thinking, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know how to use these. Like, thing. And yeah, coming from a background of not being able to run for longer than an hour and a half without feeling like I wanted to either like I was so starry and foggy yeah. and trippy yeah. and yeah. wanted to fall over. And um, I remember being in Japan and having like a gel for the first time and just 
the it's like rocket the fuel quick it's just yeah. like instant like you yeah. let, I put it in my mouth and like let it sit which yeah. is something I remember you saying that has helped yeah. so much to get it quicker to your brain is if you let the gel sit in your mouth a bit with the yeah because there's glucose pathways direct from and sodium pathways direct from the oral mucosa of your actual mouth itself to your brain so it will kick in within about five to ten seconds mm. yeah it's yeah it's crazy it is it's like rocket fuel yeah when you pair it with with sodium yeah yeah that's yeah. really important if your electrolyte balances out you won't get the same kick but when then when it's when it's like imbalance holy moly yeah like and that's why I so when we come now to talk about actually what what do you take on board and I heard you also bring up like other sources of food like dates and stuff it there's a little bit more science we need to impart but really what I look for is something that's as pure in glucose as possible Mm -hmm. um so you're trying to find brands that aren't watering down their products a with water b with fructose like a corn syrup or promoting it having fruit juice because the interesting thing and this is the other science bit is that when when your body starts to get into a high intensity situation or a high stress load and this is one reason why very stressed people get tummy upsets is the body starts to go I don't have enough blood and energy to pass around this entire body I need to start shutting down the bits of the body that we don't need so it starts to preferentially shut down regions of the body. Now, the regions of the body are generally around the gut system um, because it has a very, very high blood flow to the gut system. So it's very efficient for the body to close these regions off. One of the first regions that's been proven to close off is the liver. The liver is really important for detoxifying, but it's also really important for processing fructose. So anything that has like a really high fructose level, especially concentrated fructose syrups like corn syrup, um, won't be absorbed very effectively when you're exercising, unless you're one of the people who are moving at a very low intensity, you know, say like a hundred mile athlete who's really out there to plod and to make it to the finish line, they're going to be fine. But it's the people who are moving at a higher intensity or in a very hot, challenging environment or maybe it's when they've got long uphills and they're moving uphill for a very long period of time they might once the body settles when they start going down the other side over a very long downhill be able to get themselves back into a very very low intense state where they might suddenly find that watermelon just tastes amazing but Mm. when they're running up the hill it ain't going to work for them Mm. (laughs) um so yeah so trying to find products that are really like effectively giving you glucose is really important yeah Um, I guess because for someone starting out who has never had a gel before because some people really don't like the consistency mm -hmm. of the gels and they kind of like get a bit repulsed by it so do you have any recommendations I know um sometimes mixing it with water can make it a little bit easier it can really help definitely you just got to be really careful of the volume challenges by increasing the amount of water and fluids you take on because some people are just so sensitive to volume of fluid you know like i said before there are some people who can barely drink 100 mils of water and set off their stretch reflex for whatever reason when they exercise Mm. but if you're not that person definitely you can water it down and it's just gels, like the, the consistency of gels, the way the, there's a couple of reasons why they make them like that. Um, one is that when you digest food in the tummy and it starts churning around and mi- mixing it with the acids of the stomach, it makes a, um, a substance called chyme. So that's the food with everything mixed through it. It's that, it's the exact same consistency of a good high quality gel. Like it's, um, it's mushy. <laughs> yeah. And when you put something into the body that is in, in that format the body actually almost doesn't recognize you've had the food so it doesn't suddenly just shunt a whole lot of blood into the gut to try and break everything down and process it Mm. like it actually um it's yeah you sort of like sneaky getting it in there and that's really important if you're trying to exercise and keep blood flow to your your working muscles you don't want all your blood flow to suddenly be rushing to your gut to digest things Mm. so that's one reason why gels are in that format the other one is that it's one of the highest energy density forms of glucose that you can get. Um, so by watering it down, you're just, I guess, you, you're reducing the energy density density of how much you're taking on. Um, but I think that's, you know, a really, it, it can be a good way for people to start out. But I think practice does make perfect with gels. Like the first time I had one, I nearly vomited, I have to admit. 
Um, it wasn't a very nice one, but it still was an unpleasant experience. But the more you have them, the more you get used to them. Um, and I think it's also really important, like if someone's feeling crazy and nauseated or been vomiting, that they can even use the gel to wash around in their mouth like we were talking about and absorb it through the, the oral mucosa and then spit out what they can't swallow. Um, it'll still be better than nothing. Yeah. So. The other thing, other ways you can get glucose in is um, I really quite like making up a mix of a, the glucose jelly beans from the chemist, um, picking out my favourite flavours <laughs> and mixing that also with glucose tablets, which are what you can put in a diabetic's um, mouth when they're comatose and you're trying to bring them back from a, um, a glucose-induced coma. Mm. Um, you can put them in their cheeks and under their tongue and just stuff them in and actually it can bring them back to, mm. back to um, you know, awakening. So I find that the glucose tablets don't – and that's the thing with glucose. It's the other reason why I'd move away from a fructose product is that fructose is twice as sweet as glucose. So if you find the gels are just so OD sickly, overdose sickly – um, moving to a, a glucose one will really help. And glucose tablets are great too, yeah, because they're not sweet. They're not like lollies in the supermarket aisle. It's completely different. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that that's pretty much what I, what I use. And, like, I can hear people saying, you know, like, what happens if I'm out for, like, a 12-hour race or something um, or even five hours? They can't – don't I need something else? And to be honest, no. <laughs> like like by all means use other things do I need it no I, I don't think you do now I know there are people out there who believe otherwise and that is fine and I'm I'm happy to sit on this side of my fence um and really advocate that I honestly believe that athletes can use pretty much gels jelly beans glucose tablets maybe if you need something in your tummy just to feel like you've had food like half an energy bar or something like that but but if you're looking at performance and really sustaining your central nervous system to allow your body to access your fat stores to burn, then feed it glucose. Mm. Um, and I can I can say that I've done you know 15 hour days out in the Tasmanian wilderness on missions or you know 10 and a half hours on the Ultra Australia 100k and a plethora of other races and I only use gels and glucose gel, jelly beans and tablets. Yeah. 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 I love talking. We talk about this all the time because it's it's <laughs> such a like our favorite topic. I think mm. one of our favorite topics to discuss. Um, but I broached it with my parents the other day. Um, was talking to them about sports nutrition, and my parents are just really keen hikers. Like they love hiking. Um, and I said, "Oh, you guys tried electrolyte tablets, or like out on your walks, or have you ever like tried a gel?" And the response I got was just this look of like. Horror. Who do you think yeah. we are? Like we're just hikers. Like, yeah. um, and I found it quite interesting because we talk about how this type of like how sports nutrition can be for everyone. Like if you're mm. active and 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 any age as well. Absolutely. So I thought it was quite interesting because then it was almost like my mum. She was a bit intrigued, like she wanted to, that self-efficacy. Like yeah. she thought, yeah, I want to feel myself properly. Like, do you think that there's a better way that I could yeah. do it? Um, well, because we, we went to the Larrapin, sorry to interrupt, but we went okay. to the Larrapin to stage race with my mum, who was her 60th birthday. And the Larrapin to stage race is like a four-day race in Central Australia. So it's hot, it's long, it's dry. Like it has all the conditions to make it like a really tough event, and especially for a 60-year-old. So my mum went out on the first few days and took her little bag of nuts and dried fruit and I think she had some muesli, Carmen's muesli bars or whatever she bought from the supermarket. Sure enough, she was bonking. Like, Mm. I mean, she did well. She was stoic. She was heroic. But you could just tell when she crossed the line, like, she was glazed, dizzy, run down, you know, wanted, wanted to nap in the afternoons. So I said to her, like, by day three, I'm like, I want this to be a really awesome experience. Take a handful of these gels out with you and just try them. Even if you just try one, just tell me how it goes. We increased her electrolyte concentration. She'd been having a little bit, but it was very like, I'll just put a little bit in. You know, whereas, <laughs> like, I was like, two tablets, 500 mils out the door, you go. And she was 
unbelievable on the last days and even she just yeah. came back and just was raving just like that just changed my life like yeah. and now she's a full advocate of it now when she goes cycling like she cycled to us quite a lot um she goes out mountain biking with her friends she'll always now take electrolyte um well she's got a little stash of energy gels and bars in her cupboard and she knows about my glucose jelly bean tablet kind of combinations and yeah for you know for a 60 year old as well like it's 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 the same principle and I, and then I'd go and say well what about like firefighters when they're fighting in multi-day you know challenging bushfire situations do you think that when they need energy we should give them a bag of nuts or do you think we could give them some you know mm. high intensity glucose mm. um so that they can be back into the mix of it straight away like I think all of us would be like okay like don't feed them nuts yeah. <laughs> like yeah um I think I'd be really excited to see this like sports nutrition sort of like moving away from the idea that it only needs to be for elite athletes that you can just use it for every day and so that stigma isn't there so much for people because I think that that was one of the big things for my parents too is just like the um or like ripping open a gel and having a gel and and just being like well that's what's going to make you feel good and ultimately that's what people want to see you yeah. being is feeling good Absolutely. and feeling happy and a lot and like really good and not run Absolutely. down and, thing and, and yeah th- yep. that type of food can do yep. that for you I so, think it's there yeah. for everyone but I also think it's there for people who are putting in all this work to get their bodies at the fitness and strength level to go and do really cool goals mm. and then only letting themselves down when it gets to race day so I mean all of this is something that you need to practice you need to believe and you need to like you know understand um and give yourself the entitlement to use it and then you know yeah like I keep saying like practice 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 and that's in training I think it is really important to understand that stress changes nutrition too um it doesn't change the science it it just changes your experiences so the best time I think to practice these is like you know I've talked a bit about this concept of missioning and you know like training on a three-week cycle in the third week give yourself some recovery time and then go out and do a mission and practice everything that you're going to do on race day and that's your best window to understanding how nutrition's working because if you're going out really really fatigued after like whether it's a busy week or you know kids have been sick or whatever that is or you're already run down like obviously it's going to be harder for nutrition to you know work magic but if you're going out and you're feeling fresh and rested like you will hopefully on race day you're going to get a much better indication of whether it's you know working for you Mm. um there's a few more bits that we probably need to touch on like one is like how frequently do you take on energy i mean the more the merrier really for most people again it's just a limitation for how much their body can tolerate most people work best on it whether it's Anywhere between a 30 to 45 minute window generally seems to work for someone to take on the equivalent of one gel of energy. Mm. Um, Even if you don't feel like it necessarily? Often if you don't feel like it. Okay. The the idea with sports nutrition is to try to make sure that you're drip feeding your system and holding as much energy in the tank as possible because once you start going down the slippery dip of losing energy, it's nearly impossible to bring yourself back up again unless you back off your intensity and really, like, you know, focus on putting it back in. Mm. And that happens for people in, like, a 100-mile race who, you know, do naturally get into a depleted hole and then have to stop at an aid station and take half an hour to really eat some sandwiches or you know, like really bulk up on their food quantities and they can pull themselves back into a good place. But, it, but you don't really want to do that if you're trying to sustain a good intensity, especially mm. in things like the marathon or 50-100k race. You're generally trying to like hold a consistent effort from start to finish. Um, so, yeah, so I find like someone, the 30-minute people, either like my husband who's, I'd call him a burner. Like you just look at him and he's like, he'll hate me saying this, but like a stick insect. Like, but he's like that in life. doesn't matter how much Nutella he eats, he's always going to be like a stick insect. So he's a burner. And when he exercises, he's a burner. So he just loses energy quickly. doesn't yeah. lose much salt or fluid. He loses energy. So he, he works on even like a 25 minute, every 25 minutes he's having a gel and his stomach tolerates it. 
then you have those kind of like like my brother actually who's like six foot four really broad a little bit heavy on his feet when he runs um sweats quite a lot he just puts out a lot of energy when he runs like he's also going to be someone who has to put more energy back in as opposed to say like a little Chinese elite marathon runner when you watch them run they just like float they're like feet moving a million miles an hour and they just like skim across the surface and mm-hmm. you can see they're really efficient mm-hmm. um or a kenyan runner like they're not going to have to put it in quite as frequently yeah so and then it obviously is also about intensity so if like i go out for a five-hour plod with my mum, i'm not going to be putting it in every half an hour like i can probably get away with every hour 90 minutes because my intensity is so low mm-hmm. um yeah, so that that's a bit of a general rule, though. Thirty to forty-five minutes for most people working in a race yeah. situation. I guess you can also kind of like adjust it as the um, terrain. Like I Absolutely. find if I'm like going up a hill really, really steep, then yeah. then I'll have it more often than when I'm yeah. cruising and then yeah. down. I think most people need to start the way I started with it was setting a watch to beep, and this is how I start everyone off. So I set a watch to beep every forty-five minutes and put a gel in. Um, and in between, I just suggest, and this is what I do, is just munch on jelly beans and glucose tablets as needed. Mm. Um, but if, like, that's not feeling like you're holding enough energy in the tank, you drop that back to 40 minutes, maybe then 35 minutes, but you titrate it back. It's much better to go that way than thinking, oh, every 30 minutes and then starting to feel queasy because your stomach's got too much in it. Yeah. And the queasiness is always going to be a volume problem. It's yeah. not like how much glucose you're taking on board. It's like how much volume of fluid you've got in your gut. Yeah. So that that's my trick for starting out with sports nutrition. Um, yeah. The other times that I think is really, really important um, to take on nutrition is if you're started, starting to notice your central nervous system suffering. So by that I mean like negative thinking, cloudy thinking, um, tripping over that's a classic like mm. catching your toes on things or bumping your arm on branches or um, thinking you're ducking low enough and donking your head like mm. that's all a sign that you're actually your central nervous system's just running out of energy so that's when I would also say putting it back in yeah yeah also <laughs> we were talking so we've basically um, spoken a lot about so everyday nutrition and then like race day or like on your missions nutrition but what about like before and after your big your missions or your race like is there better things that we could be putting in our bodies than other foods yeah (laughs) during those times are they like like, critical periods that yeah yeah like everyone is different um and everyone's gonna have a different response to this even the mentor that has taught me a lot over years has a very different view to what to have before a race. But I find, if in doubt, my rule is white, fluffy, starchy beforehand. Um, because As like, in like the, the day before, the night yeah, before? Yeah, days leading in and the days. morning of. <laughs> yeah. A week of white rice. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Well, for some people, yeah, because... Like I said, once as soon as you start, when the gun goes in, a, in an event or when you're going out and doing something really hefty, um, the gut will start to shut down pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And the bits that shut down are um, the liver, so fructose, um, the gallbladder, so that's fat, and pancreas, so that's protein. So all of those things, those elements will get trapped in your gut system if um, they haven't passed through before you actually start exercising um, for most people. So the risk then is that if you start to retain some fluids, which is going to happen in your gut, and it starts to put weight on the gut system and pushing all of those bits that haven't digested down, you start to get the problem where you just kind of need to go to the bathroom Mm. and quite a lot. And it's quite common in the marathon, you know, people just needing to stop two, three, four, five times in, in even the marathon distance. So, um, so what my rule of thought is to try and get rid of a lot of that out of the, and fiber, we didn't talk about fiber. So, um, to get rid of a lot of the fiber proteins, fats out of the system before you actually get to the day. Now, most people, it takes 24 hours to go through your system. So definitely in that last 24 hours before an event, I think it's really important to for most people to work back towards white fluffy starchy so mm-hmm. yeah like white rice 
whether you have pastas, maybe quinoa is okay for most people. For me, like pumpkin soup and white rice is an amazing pre-race food for me. Um, I also think it's really important to make your main meals on the breakfast and lunch, not dinner the night before. Dinner's too late. Like you need to be putting that energy in way earlier. So mm. I know, yeah, normally have bigger breakfast, bigger lunch, light dinner. Um, and then for me on the morning, again, white fluffy starchy. So I used to sort of recommend, recommend things like toast and honey or crumpets and honey. But now I actually just say, why not just an energy bar that's light on your tummy that you can pretty much eat when you're warming up? Saves you getting up three hours before the race. Mm. Um, sip a bit of electrolyte as well and take a gel on the start line and you're ready. And you can be like literally in bed an hour before a race start and still be performing optimally as soon as the gun goes. So everyone is different, but that's kind of my thought and my rule of thumb for most of my athletes that I work with. Mm. Yeah. And post-race, is it just free-for-all? I think, like, the thing with post-race is, you you know, it brings up the topic of recovery. If you look after yourself when you're exercising, that recovery process is a whole lot easier because mm. you're not as behind on your nutrition and your hydration and your, and your electrolytes. But the most important thing is to continue to put back the electrolytes, you know, like you will in the days leading up to. I think it's important to be sipping your electrolytes and really restoring your... Um, you know, making sure you're optimally hydrated. I think afterwards it's the same, like continue drinking until you really feel like you're, you're there. I think like the thing is if you only drink water after a race or fluids that don't have salt in them, you'll go to the bathroom and you think you're hydrated because you're peeing clear fluids out, but you're just flushing your system. Then it's actually not absorbing. So you can still have a rotten headache, can be peeing clear fluid and knew nothing's happening yeah um in terms of hydration so i think hydration is just critical for helping the muscles to recover quickly and flushing out any like um, waste products and swelling that forms around the body and then it's just about putting back some energy and some proteins and healthy fats so basically i just jump back on a super healthy diet like you know, big rich raw salads with dips and protein sauces and mm. um avocados and all of that and but really, yeah, really focusing on the hydration element. Mm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm. Well, I think that's all the questions that I had. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, we could go on for hours. Like, we haven't oh, yeah, talked totally. about, like, you know, what about the, like, all-in-one nutrition's, like, you know, where they've got their proteins and their fats and their fluids and their energy all-in-one yeah. and stuff. Like, that. there's so much there. But I think if you can take the big principles – just FYI, I don't agree with them, <laughs> um, but it's another story. But I think if you can take the big principles that sports nutrition is simple, it's made complicated by marketing and by big companies wanting to sell you their products. But if you can keep going back to glucose, sodium, water, yep. you will be okay. <laughs> keep it simple, silly out there mm-hmm. and do it frequently. Titrate it in small amounts frequently. And if you're hearing your tummy getting grumpy, it's normally too much volume, too much fluid, whether it's you increase your sodium, you back off your fluids, that will pull most people back from a hard place. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Thanks so much, honey. Thanks, Jess. <laughs>